Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you guys haven't had the opportunity to check out the Navigator Series, it's a brand new lineup from Lacrosse. They have the Windrose for men and women. They also have the Atlas, and that's what I wore during my rut vacation this fall. Check them out. They're very comfortable. Uh, it's a traditional rubber boot kind of mixed with a traditional hunting hiking boot they've mashed it together and the outcome is the navigator series check it out at lacrossefootwear.com my name is clay newcomb and i'm the host of the bear hunting magazine podcast i'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of north american wilderness the bear we'll talk about tactics gear conservation but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet, Chasing Bear. There's three quick things that I want to say to you. Check out Northwoods Bear Products is one of them. Full line of commercial bear scents as we're coming into the spring. Be ready. Number two, Western Bear Foundation. Membership-driven Nonprofit hunting conservation organization that is the voice of bear hunters in the West. Number three, DU Hunting Supply, the hound supply company of choice of Bear Hunting Magazine. These guys have a full line of all Garmin products and all hound related stuff that you would need. Great customer service. Check out these friends of ours. This podcast is super unique. I've got my wife on the podcast and then also two of our close friends. We're going to talk about generational continuance. We're going to kind of disclose some stuff about how we've raised our kids. And if you're a parent, this podcast, I think you'll enjoy it. We, we just had a great conversation 
with our friends Josh and Christy Spillmaker and with my wife, Misty Newcomb. On to the podcast. This is going to be a pretty unique and special podcast. I have uh, some very special guests on the podcast today. Uh, really, this is a unique podcast. Yeah. I've, I've had some collection of friends and family before, um, but this is unique. I have my wife, Misty Newcomb. Say hello, Misty. Hi. Hello. Okay. I'm Misty Newcomb. <laughs> and for those who aren't here, Clay is staring at me very intently. Yes, <laughs> as usual. <laughs> um, and then we have... Our longtime, really close friends, Josh and Christy Spillmaker. Josh, say hi. Hello. Uh, Would you like to introduce your wife? Uh, I would. My lovely wife, Christy Spillmaker, who has agreed to be married to me for up to 21 years now. Up to? Like she's going to quit? Like every day day we kind of renew the contract. Like, are you going to stay another day? Not true. (laughs) I'm sticking around forever. Sorry, babe. (laughs) 21 years and three kids later. Uh, Good morning. Yes. Hi. Yeah, Christy, say hi. Hello. Christy Spillmaker. You know, there's always this uh, podcast lull when you uh, when you say introduce yourself because you don't know what the host really wants you to do, like like a full introduction, or should you? Should just we like say describe hi? ourselves, like the way we look, or anything? For I think we should play a game and and <laughs> describe the person to your left, <laughs> like describe what they're wearing and describe right. <laughs> no. So what we're going to talk about is we want to talk about really generational continuance. And so one of the biggest issues that we face inside the hunting sphere is hunter recruitment. And we know that hunter recruitment is is a big topic, but part of hunter recruitment would be our actual offspring, Mm -hmm. the offspring of hunting families and passing, passing not just an activity to our kids, and we're going to dissect all this stuff, but how do we pass a value system to our kids? Because it's, it's one thing to say that we want our kids to be hunters, but that's actually, in my mind, kind of a shallow depth perception. Because you really can't make your kids become something that they don't want to become. And I've always set a goal as a father that, yeah, I wanted my kids to be be hunters and Mm -hmm. be passionate about something that I am. I I think if I was a tennis player or a golfer, as we talk about so much on this podcast, (laughs) um, I would want them to love what what I love as well. And so I think that's a natural thing. But at the same time, I know that if you if you don't have a relationship with your kids, if mm-hmm. you don't do a whole bunch of stuff right, yep. you're gonna you're gonna degrade that transfer of a value system. And what I've always wanted was I wanted my kids to be fully exposed to the outdoor world, to hunting, to conservation, to respecting wildlife, to to being raised on wild game. I mean, I wanted them to, to have an open door to that. But more importantly than that, really what I wanted was for them to capture my value system in such a strong way that it transferred to their kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so we're, that's really what we're going to talk about is how do you transfer that value system? Um, so, but before 
we do that. I want to give a little bit of context of Josh and Christy. So Josh, I would describe Josh as a... Uh, Oh, this is I'm I'm kicking back here. I'm really interested to hear this. To hear how you okay? He's wearing a pair of camouflage muck boots, <laughs> a nice trendy vest, got a killer mustache. Josh's mustache in twenty what about two thousand nine? One day I looked at your mustache and I said it reminds me of the Bering Strait before <laughs> the 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 or, or the Bering Land Bridge right in the Pleistocene. It was just, it like connected these two massive continents of hair. <laughs> and it inspired me to go read a book about the Bering Land Bridge. Do you remember You're that? Welcome. I'm I being do. so I, serious. I actually do. <laughs> Josh's mustache. Yeah, Josh's mustache. Inspiring oh. outdoor writers for years. <laughs> so, no, Josh, uh, I would describe you as a, uh, as a, you're hunting as a, you probably hunt every two years. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, unfortunately, have, I don't get. I love to hunt. I just don't get a lot of time to do it. Right. You 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 probably hunt for the, for a stretch there. You probably hunted with me every year. Yep. For seven or eight years, but yep. since two thousand two, you've probably hunted every other year. Yeah. Taken a couple of deer. Yep. You've introduced your kids into hunting, mm-hmm. so you're not like a real serious hunter. No. Not. And here's something I've been saying on the podcast as well is that I am changing in my the way that I view hunter recruitment and, and kind of my default position with hunting used to be that, like, you know, if you were going to be a hunter, you might as well be all in. Now I realize that what you do is actually extremely valuable to hunting and to your family. Like, because in terms of conservation and funding for conservation – the purchasing of of hunting licenses mm-hmm. is massive, mm-hmm. right? And so, by you purchasing a hunting license every year, which maybe you do, maybe you don't. I do, every year, yeah, you do because you yeah. you think you might go. Exactly. <laughs> you have actually done as much for conservation in the state of Arkansas as I have in the last twenty years, just by buying that license. Yeah, I mean, well, I feel a lot true. better about wow. myself. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's value in people that just have a very small portion of their life that's dedicated to hunting. And it also gave your family a, a potential doorway, you know, because, you know, your kids will ha- have that in their repertoire of activities mm-hmm. of, you know, dad did some hunting. We used to hunt. We, and, and, and David is actually probably likes hunting as much or more than mm-hmm. you. Uh-huh. And has hunted quite a bit. We've been we've been fortunate enough to be friends with with Clay and Misty for almost twenty years, and our kids have been raised together. And it's not uncommon for my son David or my daughters Ava and Mallory just to to have been a part of a Newcomb family hunt, or just take off with Clay out in the woods and go hunt for shed antlers or whatever. It's it's so it's been a real neat relationship for our kids to have ties with you guys so that they can experience that as well yeah yeah i actually was looking through some pictures recently and when clay killed dagger which was like a super important deer in the in the yeah, in 2007 history, yeah ava and bear were toddlers and they were uh, both here because christy and i used to swap kids yeah. while we would go to work or school and we would take care of each other's kids and so ava there's pictures of, of ava. ava with that with dagger and we made yeah. a big breakfast that day when everybody came back while we were waiting so we yeah. didn't while we were waiting for y'all to find them, the Ava and I made a big breakfast, and Bear went with Clay. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty fun. 
Yeah. Well, I said all that, Josh, to say, tell us the story of your first deer when you almost got your eyes pecked out. <laughs> <laughs> what year would have that would that have been? That like was probably 03. Yeah, 2002-2003 was my yeah. first deer. I, I was raised by a single mother who who had really no desire to do anything terribly outdoorsy and she remarried and my stepdad was never very outdoorsy. So when I met Clay, I I had always been interested in hunting and fishing and but never really had anybody to mentor me in that. So when I met Clay, he was just, I was, that was one of the things I was drawn to was that, that outdoorsiness and that just love of, of really interacting with nature. And so I remember that first, actually, um, Clay and Gary Newcomb gave me my first bow Mm -hmm. was the, it's the high high country, country, the old high country bow, which I still have to this day. And yeah. when I go deer hunting, that's what I take. And so I I practiced and practiced and practiced so I could be proficient with it. And, you know, the old rule, if you can hit a paper plate at 20 yards, you can kill a yeah. deer. Yeah. So I was ready. You I'm, know, there's new rules now that archery is, like, way better than it used to be. So paper plate isn't going to like cut it Like quarter. Anymore. Oh, my goodness. No, that's a joke. Like, they're talking about hunter recruitment and about how things have changed and, Yeah. So Kids if you can days. hit a pie plate, you're you're pretty good. Okay, so I was ready. So uh, we we packed up one weekend for the annual Newcomb family hunt in Howard County, Arkansas, and we went out and uh, uh, we got there in the early afternoon. I remember we got there in the early afternoon, and Clay's father Gary um, walked me out into the woods and said, "I'm going to put you right here. This is my hot stand. We got the ambusher tree stand, yeah. which is about." 10, 12 feet off the ground, ladder stand, and uh, I, I was ready. So the next morning, I got up. Gary walks me out there early in the morning before dark. I think I, I remember that was probably one of the first times I had been out in the woods in the dark. In the dark, before daylight. Before daylight. And we walked out, and I remember thinking, he's going to leave me here, and if I have to get out of here in the dark, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna be lost, and I remember we got halfway out to where the tree stand was, and we spooked a couple of turkeys, and my heart started racing, and and well, we got out to the tree stand, and he got me up there and, and left, and and uh, it was it was still dark, and uh, I had gotten up there and gotten situated, got my bow all ready, got my arrow knocked, and I was ready, and and just as it was starting to to get the slightest little bit of light, I could see some movement. And I thought, oh my God, there's a there's a deer right there. And I remember, I remember Gary and Clay telling me, now don't don't move, just sit still, look with your eyes, don't look with your head. And so I'm sitting there like a statue and like a big idiot, and I'm moving my eyes and I'm watching these <laughs> with this deer, and uh, it gets light enough that I think I can take a shot. And the deer crosses back behind a tree, and I stood up, and I drew my arrow, and he came around, and I just. I mean, with the skill of William Tell, I know he shot a <laughs> I drew back and let that arrow fly and <laughs> and just drilled that deer right square in the backbone. <laughs> and he just dropped, went down. kicked a couple times, and he was done. Lights out. So I uh, I waited my 30 minutes and went down, and, and uh, he was a goner. And it was probably... Uh, 
uh, I don't know, it's probably three, four hundred yards off the road, right? And uh, through some some thick stuff, and so I I got all my stuff down and got it dragged out, and uh, Clay had told me I'll be back around eleven to get you, and it was eight o'clock in the morning, and I'm like yeah. I got three more hours, yeah. and so I I went over and I dragged the deer off the side of the road, and I thought. I'm kind of sleepy. I'm going to lay down and take a nap. <laughs> and so I laid down and used my deer as a pillow. And uh-huh. uh, at one point, I woke up because I, I, something must have caught my attention. And there was an entire flock of turkeys crossing right in front of me. <laughs> I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get a turkey. Because I remember Clay had told me, you can kill a turkey in the fall, too. Yeah. So I tried to grab my bow, and you know the, the turkeys took off and, and scattered. And so I, I thought, well, I'm going to go back to sleep. So I lay down and go back to sleep. And the next thing I know, I wake up, and not 10 feet off of my heels is a huge turkey buzzard. A buzzard. <laughs> a huge turkey buzzard. And I tell you what, if a turkey buzzard could look excited like he had just hit the jackpot, a deer <laughs> and a dude, I mean, he was ready. <laughs> so, like, ladies, do you all understand what yeah. happened? Yes, the buzzards thought he was, he was dead. dead. We okay. got it. Yeah. You got it. You got it. For Fortunately, there wasn't a swarm <laughs> of them circling overhead. But you were uh, you were probably minutes away from having your eyeballs pecked out. I was. I was. Or your your innards like spilled Eat. out. My, in my oh. entrails becoming my extrails. Yes. Yes. So anyway, I I I, I shoo <laughs> off the turkey buzzard, and uh, I you know I started watching my watch, and I knew Clay was going to be and coming. It was eight fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd slept for seven (laughs) minutes. Um, Uh, So I was getting close to eleven, and I heard that familiar rumble of that Jeep, that Jeep Cherokee, ninety-one Jeep Cherokee. Yep, coming over the through the distance on those old gravel roads, and I I think I had a bumper sticker at the time on the Jeep Cherokee that said "Give them the blade." (laughs) That's right, Ted Nugent. (laughs) Absolutely, I don't put stickers like that. So I thought. I thought I'm gonna. I I'm, do have them here in the office, though. <laughs> I I was gonna try to play it off like I hadn't gotten a deer, and so I I left my deer kind of tucked back in the in the grass there, and I walked out onto the road, and up up comes the the jeep crest on the hill, and Clay comes, and he's a quarter mile away from me, and I see him start fist pumping out the window, <laughs> and I was like, what is he doing? And he gets up and he gets pulls up right against, I mean, gravel slide. Duke's a hazard slide. Yeah. And uh, he says, Where is it? And I said, Where's what? And he goes, Where's your deer? And I said, How'd you know I got a deer? And he said, You got blood on your boots. <laughs> <laughs> so that you've, was. You've never been able to hide secrets, though, Josh. No, it's true. I could see it on your face from it's a quarter true. mile yeah. away. <laughs> Uh, so that was that was the story of the first, and it was a button buck, and I've had a long yeah. history with button bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's killed a few more. Uh, that so that that story started our uh, well, really was a good start to our friendship. We were just we were we kind of just got to know each other at that time, but we have raised our families together since then. Um, David killed a turkey in the youth turkey season. Josh's son, David. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So anyway, we've had a lot of David and Josh coon hunt with us and turkey hunted with us and yeah. So to to touch on the topics at hand, um, did y'all know that uh, Misty Newcomb is a PhD candidate? Yeah, she has, Misty, you have a master's so degree impressive. in what? Child development. Master's degree in child development, mm-hmm. and is a PhD candidate for. Tell us. You tell me. 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, your bachelor's degree has like 10 words it in does the have title. Ten words. It's it was very absurd. Yeah. It's, it's also essentially child development. My uh, PhD is in public policy with an education policy concentration. Yeah. Do y'all know she's almost done with it? I she'll be she'll be Doctor Misty Newcomb for I'd, for one day. I'd like everyone to call. So me. will you be Doctor and Mister <laughs> Misty <laughs> Newcomb? Mr. She'll be Doctor Mrs. Clay Newcomb. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how I go. That's what I go by right now. Yeah. When I'm at work, no people call me Mrs. Clay Newcomb. <laughs> that's how I sign things. No, so Misty and I have. Uh, We've always been very intentional about how we raised our kids. Misty did not... The interesting thing about us is that Misty grew up in a rural place, but not amongst hunters at all, really. Well, there were hunters everywhere, but our family... Well, your family. Your family family weren't hunters. They they rebelled against the the surrounding system. Yeah, they did. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... the hunting lifestyle really was pretty new to you, even though rural lifestyle was not new. The hunting lifestyle was was fairly new. Um, we, I'm, I'm kind of trying to decide where to start here. What what we want to talk about is the challenges with transferring a value system, the challenges with um, particularly boys in modern culture, and how the outdoor world plays into development. Um, where would you like to start, Miss Newcomb? Well. Even with a little history, I was going to talk about, I mean, Misty and I quite literally raised our family on wild game. True story. I mean, yeah. we really did. I mean, it was it was like a big deal. I mean, we were, we, we, we were married before we went to college and had kids when we were going through college. Yep. And, uh, Golly, to, to kill a deer and to process it was uh, valuable income. I mean, it, it, it was financially valuable yeah. to us. And then we had also made decisions early on that we, you know, it, for, for health purposes, mm-hmm. that wild game was, mm-hmm. was, a, good, uh, was a good option. And yeah, so, I didn't grow up eating wild game. I didn't, our family, uh, we were, I was raised, you know, my, my dad, I should say, was raised by hillbillies, like real live hillbillies. Uh, we'd go to Thanksgiving at my great-grandparents' house, and my great-grandpa, Louis Joplin, who was just a great man, would say, hey, guess what you're eating right now? And you just hope he didn't say possum. Like, that was the kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that was the kind of stuff. And he, um, we, I actually just kind of learned, don't eat over there. Don't, uh, you just never <laughs> just know what he's going to tell you. What he's gonna t- they were really great people, but they, um, they were, yeah, they, they were probably real-life hillbillies, and I think my dad wanted to, they were loggers. Yeah, they were loggers and and migrant farmers. All three out of four of my grandparents grew up as migrant farmers. Would get taken out of the school in the spring. Um, so I think my dad kind of wanted to move away from that that uh, yeah. a little bit. And so we were. I would almost say we were discouraged from hunting, For and sure. we were the culture of our community. I think my dad really wanted to make sure that we didn't have. Um, he didn't, there were aspects of the rural lifestyle that he didn't like for better or worse. That yeah. was just sort of his stance. He yeah. didn't really like that. And he didn't want us to, to grow up with that mindset. And in some ways that was really good, but in other ways it wasn't. And one of those ways was, uh, that I would say wasn't very positive was sort of how he perceived hunters Yeah. and hunting. And, uh, and so we never grew up around it. Also the kids who grew up who were hunters in our community were not like, uh, 
these, you know, upstanding, upstanding Aldo Leopold reading <laughs> conservationist. Uh, yes. it, it, they were kind of wild people. I mean, it was a uh, the town I grew up in had less than four hundred people in it, and and sometimes you would hear stories even just at school about people poaching, and um, it just didn't seem very respectful. And even as a as a young person, I kind of picked up on that, and I didn't really like it. And uh, and and so I I didn't like hunting. The funny story: the night before I met Clay, um, there was some someone was getting married. There was a big wedding in town, and people were talking about it. And uh, it was friends of ours, and people were talking about you know, like aspects about them that were just a really great fit, aspects about them that surprised everyone. And somehow that got, you know, young girls how they are. And and sometimes the conversation turned to what type of person do you think you'll marry? And I had one thing that I wouldn't marry. There were all sorts of things that I would look for in a person, but the one thing I wouldn't marry was a hunter. (laughs) Did y'all know that story? No, I don't remember that. that, Christian. It was the only thing that I just said, I know this, you know, I don't really know much, but I know I definitely won't marry a hunter. And the next day I married, I met. We had a PR problem. We We still do. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, I literally, I met Clay the next day. And very quickly on realized he was a hunter. And out in the distance, God said, oh, really? Yeah, I know. I know. I don't say things like that anymore. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but anyway, so he, um, the first, one of the first conversations that we had, I realized he was a hunter and he was a lot like he is today, just, you know, real passionate about it. And it was sort of, sort of shocking to me that this person who could be so interesting and intriguing would good hunt. looking and good looking, absolutely. <laughs> Bearcat handsome, four years in a row, right That's here, guys. Right. That's right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> face for podcasting. That's right. That's right. So anyway, so that was it. Was a little bit of an adjustment, and Clay would um, Clay would actually come home. We didn't live in the same we didn't live in the same place, and so Clay would uh, come back to where we lived. And would bring, he would pull out things from his wallet, little magazine clippings about, I remember the first time he did it, it was a magazine clipping about what hunters had done for the turkey population in Arkansas and how since they had hunted them, uh, the turkey population had increased. So it was. That was back when all the media we had was magazines. Yeah. And it was the Arkansas Game and Fish, like annual magazine where you see how much hunting licenses cost and things like that. But he would clip it out during the week. And then when we'd see each other on the weekends, he would he would read it to me or make me read it and be like, oh, I got you something. And so he was kind of the way he is now. <laughs> all of that. All that was there in the 90s as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> to, uh, anyway, so he, he, he kind of won me over. But I still, I still thought it was kind of With weird. With the turkey population stuff. With the, yeah, that was a big deal. Uh, not just mm. that. Also... She's always been a sucker for turkeys. <laughs> I, I'll, never, I'll never forget on February, uh, there's a story that Clay told about a pig hunt. He, he named a pig Jack Hammer on February mm. 13th, and it actually became a holiday in our relationship. And Instead we of Valentine's yeah, Day. We, we haven't still call celebrated it out. Yeah. in many years, though. We always Jack call it Hammer out, Day. though, Jack Hammer Day. On February 13th, it was the day that he killed this pig, and he told... It, I no, think it was the day that I didn't kill the pig. Oh, right, that he, correct, that he hunted a pig. And yeah. I think it was honestly the first hunting story I ever heard. And he told the story... And it was, I mean, I was hooked. It was so interesting. And he was so, you know, Clay's a good storyteller. And he was back then as well. And, and he told this story. And I just loved it. And it actually made me think, I think I could, if people told those kind of stories, I think I might actually be interested, not in hunting myself, but it would, mm-hmm. it, it was just, it was funny and had adventure. And I, I loved it. And, and so that was, Clay kind of 
changed my perspective on hunting because of, of how he, and, and also early on when we were dating, he went on a hunting trip with his grandpa Paps and, uh, and his dad and the three of them went, went hunting. And I just remember thinking just how valuable that was. I mean, family mm-hmm. was something that was real important to us and, and just to see three generations, uh, him, he, you know, he came back from college and went and spent a weekend with his dad and his grandpa and they went hunting and it was just, it was neat to me that they had that kind of tradition and we had traditions in our family and, and, and a good strong family, but we didn't have that kind of stuff and yeah. where three generations would get together and spend a weekend. And it was just, that was something that I, I thought was, was pretty cool and really wanted, um, uh, as w- when we got married, I really wanted that kind of experience for my kids as well. Just yeah. the, I just think that kind of stuff is what helps kids become strong people. What, what value is there in, um, I guess from a even a developmental standpoint to have boys that are and let's just say involved in the outdoors. So yeah, that could be yeah. hunting. That could be yeah. like th- there's a big developmental block there that is normal human development that is missing in yeah. a lot of families that would be there with families right. that are letting their kids get hands dirty. And right. then and then for those of us that are hunting that are really indoctrinating kids yeah. into the outdoors and spending time outdoors and not in front of computer screens right. and different things. Well, I would say boys and girls both. There's this huge advantage in just getting them out there. I think that physically, I mean, just physically, it's better to, to be active, to be, to, to experience fresh air and not, and experience woods and not, not pollution and not just in inside, you know, air and, and things like that. So I think there's physical benefits. I think there's uh, mental benefits in that you just start to learn how the world works when you, mm-hmm. um, like we kind of talk about just the process when the kids go out coon hunting, they just have to open gates and go through different things and they have to do stuff to, to get out into the woods. They have to do stuff. And all those things translate to just being a real normal, balanced human being. And there's there's all these studies of, of that are showing like increasing depression and increasing and I and then there's these other stories that show the power of outdoors and the power of to to push against that the power of physical activity the all those things and I think hey if we got more families outside doing things and it might actually help you know address some of those those things instead there seems to be when kids get home there's this bigger emphasis a lot of kids are playing video games and and you see Fortnite and you see that kind of stuff kind of t- being dominant inside of when when there's kids that I'll ask, "What'd you do this weekend?" and they'll say, "Oh, I played played Fortnite all weekend," and that's it's like tragic. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a sad, that's a sad. And those games are addictive, and they they also have power to shape how kids' brains learn and how they seek immediate and immediate feedback and immediate benefit instead of learning. Hey, some of the greatest things in life don't come don't have instant gratification. You have to kind of work at it. Right. And those we, are all. Things we were I just think- talking the other night about the uh, about the. When we go coon hunting, I take some of these young boys coon hunting, and there's a process of getting the dogs out, putting a collar on them, leading the dogs, opening gates. There's this process that to to somebody who's done it is like no big deal. But to these little boys, it's like pretty massive stuff. It's always fun to me to watch a kid walk up to a gate when there's a truck full of people waiting on them to open the gate. And they've they've never opened that gate before, and they walk up to it, and they try to how to figure out how to unlatch it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of developmental stuff going yeah. on right there, yeah. socially 
and yeah. dexterity and problem mm-hmm. solving. And you'd be surprised how many times I have to get out of the truck to go open the gate for the kid. You know, but, Misty, when you're talking, you know, in in my in my job, I I manage a a company that we do, you know, a lot of uh, we do aircraft detailing and and work on airplanes. And I do a lot of hiring, and right. and I, I love hiring young guys because I, I feel like they come in with fewer preconceived notions about what work should look like. However, one of the issues that we've dealt with over the years is is just an absolute lack of common sense. Right. Mm. I mean, it's it's like an epidemic. Yeah, mm. I, um, I would agree. That I, I mm. you know, I, I consistently sit new guys down and say, tell me your thought process and what you did. And I see there is none. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's a key. So when I think about this whole conversation, Clay, one of the things, one of the things I go back to is when our kids were young, we thought about we thought a lot about generational continuance and right. that that whole transfer of of like values. And and I realized that in a lot of ways, kids grow up being told what decision to make. Like so strong that this is right and this is wrong that you never teach them how to make the decision. Yeah. And so we, Josh and I talked when our kids were young and it was like, how do we begin to teach our kids how to make decisions? Like how to have a a problem solving or a filter, like a a line of filters in their mind that help them drive towards a decision. And to me, like when I think about, and specifically David, but David's experiences in hunting, it's yeah. like the perfect analogy for how you teach a child the value system through which they should make decisions. So yeah. I don't, you know, we have a 19-year-old, almost 20-year-old daughter, and, and we don't tell her what to do anymore. Mm-hmm. We might help guide her right. in her process, like, what are you, she's like, I don't know what to do here. Okay, talk to me about this. Talk to me about that. And it's the process of guiding her through how to get to a decision. But but we're not going to tell her what to do today. I mean, that's not, we don't, we've done the work on the front end to help yeah. get her to that point. And so when I think about David's experiences hunting, like the first time he went out, he, turkey hunting, I mean, I've seen pictures of you guys taking him out and he is like, he's like hip to hip with you guys under a tree. That's his first experience. And he's experienced everything going up to it. And when Dave would come home from a hunting trip, you didn't just hear about the hip to hip under the tree when the turkeys were about to come up. It was on the drive down. We talked about this and we did that. And Mm -hmm. then when we set up camp, this happened and the campfire and the, the entire experience was him being able to see how you guys function in that environment. And he started to learn from how you guys function Mm -hmm. in that environment. Over time, the pictures were David by himself under a tree. Mm. And David knew how to... It was development. It was a picture of development. And it takes time. Mm -hmm. And it takes dialogue. And it takes takes teaching him your ways. And and the thing to me about, about hunting or hiking, like as we speak right now, Dave's in the middle of the woods, no cell phone service, with a group of guys hiking. I don't, yeah. you know, the thing is there's, <laughs> we have no idea where he is. I don't know where he yeah. is. <laughs> the, um, the thing is that there's a sense of responsibility inside of that. And yeah. I think as you put responsibility on boys, right. They will step up to it. If you yeah. teach them how to handle yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as an eight year old, as a nine year old, as a 10 year old, as a 17 year old, 
there's something about feeling the weight of responsibility of I have to keep myself safe and the people around me safe. And the process of development you guys took David through allowed him to sit under a tree by himself with no concern that he was Mm going to put himself or anyone else at risk. Like to me. And so now you got to the point where you guys trusted him. There's been a transfer. I trust him to make a right decision in that scenario because there's been development over time. Well, if we're, if we're talking about transfer of value system, the onus of that really falls onto the fathers and the uncles and the, that are there with your kids in the woods to be able to take what's on you and impart it into them. And that doesn't happen without dialogue right. and without yes. stories mm-hmm. and without being an example. If you don't have that, then you're leaving your child to try to figure it out on their own. All kids aren't going to learn just by watching. Mm-hmm. They've yeah. got to be sat down. They're not going to learn just by sheer exposure. You said exactly. a word right there, Josh, that I think is key that may not be in everybody's repertoire of of functional words and that's impartation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. impartation would be not just teaching them something like a stranger teaching another stranger a skill but impartation would be an example would just be a father showing his son with a whole a whole background of relationship Mm -hmm. respect Mm -hmm. love i mean just like this whole context of life flowing down into this moment when the son understands a bigger picture of what's happening and he catches a frequency. Exactly. You know? And that doesn't just happen in the woods. That doesn't, doesn't start in the woods. That's right. That starts right. in your home when you've built a level of relationship that allows you to have, have connection with your sons and your daughters, which means that when you get up in the morning and you're interacting with your kids and you've put on this this standoffish front like leave dad alone he's got to and then all of a sudden do. you want him to jump in the truck and spend exactly 10 hours with you in the cold that's in the a perfect miserable <laughs> condition exactly that's the perfect way to end that transfer of values. man you we just hit on something that I, to me is one of the biggest things with generational continuous if we could distill it down into one word is that there has to be relationship right you know, between the, those you know relationship is the conduit for values yeah. So from a father to son, if we were just still not there, but it could go to mother to daughter or father to daughter, but you know, we're using that analogy, is there's got to be a relationship. Right. Yep. And yeah. so it can't start. And so many people had, you know, fathers that were, you know, maybe weren't the best. And, and me and Josh haven't been the best. We're very well aware of our shortcomings, but we're also aware enough of them that we're trying to fix them. Right. That's right. Is that, yeah, you, you can't, you described it so well, is that, the relationship starts long before right. anything, and then then you build a context for that relationship to be fleshed out and right. lived out. And to me, that's what hunting has been because you're problem solving. You're giving the yeah. kid massive responsibility. They're, they are understanding your trust, which is so yeah. important developmentally to a son yeah, and I or think, a daughter. And I think it's also something that is sort of implied in everything that you're saying, but I really think this generation of parents needs to understand is it is led by the parents. Yeah. There's a lot of, I see this a lot uh, and even experience it a lot. There's a lot of focus on, you know, we all want to be better parents than our parents were and they wanted to be better parents than, than their parents were. And, and there's been this shift in, we want to do things that make our kids happy. Yeah, and right. so Absolutely we let them it. drive what 
our activities are on Saturday and, and Sunday and we overschedule them, we're, we're playing soccer or we're letting them play video games all weekend long because that's what they want to do, that's what the other kids are doing. We're giving them cell phones when they're little bitty and they don't have the maturity to manage it. And there's, as, as parents, I think one of the things you have to do is say, hey, I'm leading this family. We're leading this family. Mm -hmm. We are the ones that set the expectation for what we do. And the kids might not always like it. And it might be different than what they're experiencing Parents have forgotten that they are parents. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of that culture that you've got to set as well. Or else, I mean, if if you give a kid the option of just sitting and watching TV all day and doing nothing, they might choose that. And that's so dangerous. I mean, even, even our kids who have been, I mean, there's still times when I have to, enact a veto on their plans and say, this is what we're going to do with hunting. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. sometimes they would rather stay home. And then the second that they get out, they realize that they, right. that, that this was a good decision. But I think I could speak for Josh and Christy and Misty and I as well, is that we don't, options are sometimes bad for kids. Absolutely. And this, this whole, it's a trend of the age. There's always a trend of the age for certain period of time and right now parenting is designed to make kids happy yeah like i hear parents ask their kids all the time what do you want to do what 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 do you prefer what do you man josh i and i've learned this partly from you is sometimes you don't give your kids any options i mean Mm -hmm. you you, the, the the number one priority is not what makes them happy number one priority is what's best for the family the biggest picture and that's the way they're gonna have to operate when they're a father is not what's best for them, not 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 what's best for me, but what's best for my family, what's best for um, my development. So you know, wider context, and then also development, and uh, you know, this well, is knowing what's best requires maturity. And if you're looking to your kids to decide, you should have more more, more maturity than your children. Yeah. So that decision should be left to you as the parent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I I my my day job I I'm in a corporate environment and I I see the fruit of some of this discussion. I was talking to a gentleman um who I I mean 25 years with the company that I work for, been there a long time. Um you know, faithful in his job, has a a 20 plus year old son who is still at home. He gets home from work and he's playing video games and he's kind of just like arms up. I don't know what to do. Mm. And I think, I think what happens? What happened to the the father who has invested in providing for his family and having a home for them, and somehow his son doesn't hasn't picked up on that he has that own re, that responsibility as well. And it, it's it's sad. Yes. Yeah. It's sad because you feel like you've you've spent 20 plus years of your life with no fruit. Parents feel like they're they're victims of the trends. Yes. Like that guy just throwing up his arms saying, "What yeah. am I supposed to do? He plays video games all the time." You know, a tagline that I'm well, if a person were to write a book, they could write a book and the tagline would be life against the trends. Life in opposition of the trend. I think that could describe us is is we've not you can't let the trends of the age dictate how you parent. Right. But I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I no, thought No, I mean, I think, I think going, what you're saying is, you know, something we've talked about, something is always being built. And always. as parents, we're either building it, but if we're not going to take that mantle up, something else, and maybe it's the trends of, of the environment is going to yeah. build our kids. Mm-hmm. And so we get that choice yeah. as to what, 
right. what we're going to choose. Misty, so the, do you remember, talk about the what you have heard, what yeah, people have asked Yeah, I was just going to say, you. we'll go places and people will say, man, we see, the, like, we went somewhere and a video of River was shown. And people came up afterwards and, and they were just like, man, we really wish our kids would do that, but... Uh, you know, they just have their phones and their games. We can't get them outside. And they're talking about nine and ten year old yeah. kids. And and it's like, who's paying for that phone? <laughs> you got a lot of power here in this in this situation. You can get them outside. And people are are giving kids phones. They're giving them cell phones as if they have no choice. And and those they're being pressured by society. By society, right. and you have a choice. You have to a, give their kids phones about five years too early. About yeah, and uh, and would you guys agree with that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and so kids are getting these phones, but they don't have the maturity to hand. I mean, honestly, there there are a lot of adults who don't have the maturity to handle social media, and we're giving these things to ten year olds mm-hmm. who haven't been developed yet. And one of the things that I see is that a person's identity is really built by the boundaries that are set up around them. And so it's hard to build boundaries. It's it it you are pushing against the grain. You're pushing. It'd be easier to just say, "I'm not going to put any boundaries on these things. I'm going I'm going to just let what you know life run by default." But it really communicates to your child that you're not really actively building an identity. But by saying to our kids, "Hey, we're not going to have cell phones till you're 14." You're I mean, if you have to have one, we'll give you a flip phone. But we're for sure not having smartphones until you're 14. We're not going to have you're not going to have social media until a certain age. What we're really communicating to them is your life has some boundaries. Your life has yeah. some definition inside of it, and we're not we're not people who get who get caught up in technology. And that really it might not be easy for the kids to take. And we've heard it from our kids. Our kids aren't perfect, and they you know we've heard well everybody else has this or everybody else has an Xbox, oh, yeah. and we'll say okay we don't. That's not who we are. Does you know, I love I love yeah. teaching our kids that it is. Very much okay, and a part of their identity to be different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I like it that my kids aren't on social media and that we put boundaries because the truth is, boundaries in in the, the tr- another trend of the age is that boundaries are bad. Somebody telling you what to do is bad. Yeah, it's a very American thing. It's a and you know what? Love is boundaries. Right. Yeah. Love is someone putting boundaries on your life. To know what's right. to know what's safe, and that's a big part of parenthood. Yeah, um, it's a big part of uh, um, it's a big part of what's missing from a lot of families. You got to have the you got to have the guts as a parent to to put boundaries, and it's and it's easy if you if you if you do it from yeah. the beginning. And uh, I mean, we've not it's we've not been without drama in both of our families. Yeah, I mean, yeah, our true. kids have gone through ups and downs. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean. That's one thing I think sometimes parents think if they're perfect parents, their kids will never struggle. And uh, we are not perfect parents. Nope. Mm-hmm. And, our, and some of our kids have struggled at different times with different things. But mm-hmm. they go through, if, if the parent stays consistent, mm-hmm. if the parent stays in, in, in the same mind frame of res- resolution for whatever it is and continuing to, you know, it's almost like you're putting, you're putting pressure on them to stay inside of those boundaries of what healthy life is. Yeah. And so the parent has to constantly, and sometimes you have to put a lot of pressure to keep them there. And sometimes you don't because they're making good choices and right. good decisions. But with each kid, it's been different and it's been different. There have yeah, been different absolutely. pressure points that we've had to push back on. But I think you don't have to be, you know, I'm not a hunter. I'm not, uh, I, I, I have gone hunting and I like to go sit with the kids sometimes, you know, when they go to bear camp, um, 
there have been a couple times mm-hmm. where I've gone and sat with with one of the kids. I'm not a hunter, but uh, but I appreciate hunting in my home. I appreciate, uh, I really appreciate the meat. We still eat. I mean, I, I care a lot about healthy eating, and mm-hmm. organic food is pretty expensive. And this is pretty. This is a pretty easy, cheap mm-hmm. way to get, or inexpensive way to get. Um, to get organic meat. And my kids know that I support that. I support that by, by supporting clay when he takes them out by, um, tolerating the, you know, muddy boots that seem to be consistently on our porch. It's probably the biggest problem in our life. Probably the biggest. <laughs> yeah. There could be others. Uh, there could be other things that you, you know, there's, there's, there is, uh, just having clay away when the kids were little, that was tough. Uh, right. when, yeah. when clay would leave and real early on, we just, I realized, hey, this is going to be if I if you want that three generation trip and you want the resilience and you want this the all the good things that come with this, you have to be willing to put up some sacrifice yourself. So I'm very uh, conscious to never be vocally oppositional mm-hmm. towards hunting or vocally oppositional even towards the time away. You know, and it is a it is a lifestyle choice. It is, yeah. you know. I mean, I I have lots of great friends that are great families and great men that don't hunt Mm -hmm. and they don't go away for days at a time on a hunting Mm -hmm. trip and uh you know yeah so so there's there's a cost to everything there's a cost to being that way and there's a cost to to living life the way we do yeah and it's you know when it was when the kids were younger i would it's not hard now i mean when the kids were younger it was though it really did feel like a sacrifice um for them to go away sometimes the as they, our kids got older, the older and I kids probably pushed the boundaries more then too, because because I was immature. Right, right, yeah, and you just you, but I I do feel like it was a thing where we just say, hey, we're going to trust each other, we're going to trust, mm-hmm. and and so that you know when both of us have had careers that we're both really passionate about, and we're both the type of people who could who could give a lot to that to that, and maybe even more than. And we made a decision to just trust each other. And with that trust, to trust each other with how you use your time, how much work you take home. But with that trust came responsibility. So if I'm trusting him, then I've got to make sure I'm also managing my own self mm-hmm. and governing mm-hmm. my own self. And so so that, you know, Clay has turned down hunts and he has turned down things sometimes because it's like, oh, that will that will tax the family too much. That's, that is too much. And uh, sometimes he hasn't and maybe he should have and we kind of work through that together and work through through those things but it is um it is something i think even when you're not a hunter yourself i mean it's super cool if a whole family we know families where the mom hunts the dad hunts all the kids uh-huh. hunt and that's really cool to to see them with their little babies in their backpacks hiking through the national forest and go that, that's super cool that was not the case for our family i'm very supportive of hunting and i love right. love public lands and love getting out there in them but I'm not necessarily a, mm-hmm. a hunter, and, but I've had to learn how to be supportive of that and how to make space in our yeah. family calendar yeah. for those kinds of things. Let me introduce this book. Okay. Um, this will take us back a little bit to my original question, but uh, we all, Christy, you did you ever read Boys Adrift? I I, I read parts of it, yeah, okay. but I never read well, the whole thing. We've we've read Boys Adrift, which is a book by a guy named uh, Dr. Leonard Sachs, and basically it's about it says the five factors driving the growing epidemic of unmotiv- unmotivated boys and underachieving young men. Absolutely fascinating book Mm -hmm. that I would say every father and mother ought to read, even if they have girls. But the, when I first started reading the book, I was a little bit skeptical of what I was going to read. 
Um, and, and basically, you know, the book is just about the challenges with young men. And uh, and I was viewing it, a lot of it through a, a, a context of parenthood that involved, you know, a lot of hands-on activity outside. The, the first chapter is uh, changes at school. And basically it talks about how the, mm-hmm. the academic systems are geared for less testosterone. <laughs> um, the second chapter is about video games, and it gives all kind of crazy stats about an epidemic, almost like a health epidemic about uh, video games and how that's how that is uh, uh, inter- how the the developmental aspects of that that are that are hurting boys. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're able to engage in basically the emotions and the drama of actual activity without actually doing it. You know, like, so they're able to have the feeling that they just went like on a, a journey or and something conquered. Like that. Yeah. Okay. And, and emotionally that those things are, 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 are charged. I mean, those, those emotions spring up and right. so they feel like they've actually done something. But they've actually not done something. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of the first time in history, there's this false thing that's happening inside of boys that can kind of mess them up. As opposed to going on a real hunt where you have a real challenge and you have real things that happen and you have real problem solving and you have to get your hands dirty. And, you know, because those video games are, are mimicking what happens inside of a person right. in a real scenario. So that's chapter two. The third, the fourth chapter is about ADHD medications. Mm-hmm. It'll blow your mind to read this stuff. And it, it doesn't deny ADHD, um, but it will talk about the epidemic of diagnosing these boys and medicating boys where we would talk about how, I don't know, maybe some of our boys would have been diagnosed with this if we would have let somebody tell us that. But we didn't, and we we worked through a lot of developmental stuff. And uh, anyway, that's number the 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 fourth one, and this is the one. The fifth chapter was the one that I was most skeptical of, and it's called uh, "Indoctrine Disruptors," and uh, basically how plastics. Until you read this chapter, you're going to think I'm crazy, but this is true. <laughs> do you remember, Josh? I do. I do. Indoctrine disruptors, they're called mock estrogens. Yep. And the best example, when I tell people this, who I know will never read it, is that, Christy, do you know, uh, like when you drink a, a water bottle right. that's been in the sun? Right. It has that plastic taste. Yep. That is literally mock estrogens, indoctrine disruptors. <laughs> synthetic estrogens. Synthetic mm-hmm. estrogens that are being released from that plastic that are in that water that you're taking in. And basically, the amount of testosterone in boys today is like 50% less than what it would have been in the 1950s. Um, that's what, and, and the stats may be slightly, it may have been 40%, but like right. dramatic reduce, reduction in testosterone. And testosterone is not just sexual stuff. Testosterone is what makes a man a man, gives right. him his drive for work, gives him his drive to lead. I mean, there's a lot right. of powerful benefits just like estrogen would have for females and so basically boys are different than they used to be because of 
the amount of plastics. Like Josh, you were telling me the other day you were watching them put in a water line down your road, yeah, or, or somewhere PVC water line. And you were like, "Man, we don't really know what that's going to do. We do know for sure that plastics." have soluble chemicals that get into water. Anyway, I, I was a skeptic. I was like, ah, that's just just somebody on a witch hunt. Bizarre, though. Um, anyway, all that, I would suggest this book. Josh, what were your takeaways? Do you remember much about this? It's been I, two I, years, I, three I, years since we read I, it. I think that was one of the biggest things to me was just the effects that that, that was having on, to see, to, to literally think that, that boys are chemically wired differently now than they were in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. It's like you think about the advancements in in modern times and you think about that that age and all the advancements that took place then because there was a drive for things yeah. and now there's such a an apathy, you know, especially in the generation that we have now. The last chapter of the book is called Failure to Launch. Yeah. And it talks about the massive epidemic of young men failing to launch. And I mean, it talks about the, you know, 35 year olds still living with their moms and dads unmarried and different things. Just that was totally not normal in a different Mm -hmm. time. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's one of the main things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Uh, go ahead, Christy. Well, I was just thinking about also something that, you know, placing value on on things that are are good and and wholesome like i think back to you know reading and understanding when when all the soldiers came back from world war ii right and there was like the gi bill and some people put that towards college and some people bought a home some men bought a home and created a home for their family and worked hard in a factory all day long for 50 years until they retired and 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 i think I think there's massive value in honor. It's honorable what they did. But today we would stand back and say a a man maybe who didn't get a college degree and decided to work in a factory or to manage a factory or do something with his hands is not as as honored or, you know, esteemed as the degree. And I think, I think, you know, as a society, we have to stand back and say, you know, and, and we only know our own experience, but our son David loves to do blacksmithing or he likes yeah. to, to shoot guns. There's things he likes to do with his hands, and we ensure that there's time and investment in those things for right. him mm-hmm. because we find that valuable in the makeup of who he is. He's yeah. also very tech enabled. I mean, he, he interns with a tech company. I mean, so he, yeah. does, he does all that stuff very too. Talented. But it's like, it's like I, I think I think we've 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 stopped valuing things that are just really ultimately honorable and valuable. You you provided a home and 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 benefit and food for your family for forty years, you know, clocking in and out of a factory and, and there is nothing demeaning right. about that. Right. It's it's honorable and, and I think as a society we've moved away from some of that stuff and yeah. And realizing that, you know, I mean, there's opportunity to, to capitalize on things that we don't think about. You know, big companies making commitment to buy American. Well, there might be some fantastic opportunities to establish manufacturing, you know, small manufacturing that could sell to American companies here in America that doesn't require a college degree or doesn't mm-hmm. require. And, and I think we're missing out on some of those 
opportunities for our young men by not saying that, hey, that's valuable too. Yeah, yeah, yep. You know, I think as we as we wind down, if we could, if I could encapsulate what I think, how we transfer a, a, a value system into our kids, I think that a foundational piece of it is partnership between parents. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And and that like if you. you Parents have to be on the same page. Yeah. I mean, a husband and wife have to be on the same page. And and there's there's people listening that that they're, they're coming from a broken home that are divorced or different things. And there's still ways for yeah. parents to partner together. I mean, there's all there's always a there's always a way, and it and it starts with parents first of all that are aware, that are concerned, that are willing to take a stand against the trend. I think that would be the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And a big thing, and parents that are truly invested in building relationship with their kids, which does not mean making them happy. Right. Right. That's. I think that's a, a mis. Mis. Uh, some that people have missed is that they they think that building relationship with the kids means making them happy or making them like you. Josh and I have always joked that we don't care if our kids like us. We we say that jokingly, hyperbolically, right. exaggeration to make a point. And, but the truth is, is that when you have that mind frame, your kids will like you because they'll respect you. That's not you. our motivator. Our motivator yeah. is not for our kids to like well, us. Yeah. And it's playing the I mean, long game. It is playing right. the long game. It's playing the long game. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Of course your kid's not going to like you when you're, you know, for the 10 minutes after you tell them they can't get an ice cream cone when they're five years old. Right. Yeah. You're playing the long game. Yeah, this, this, uh, we just got, we're coming off of Christmas break at school. And it's been interesting to me how many, it's, it's almost like, uh, we, we have a, a 14 year old son and, and a, and a 16 year old daughter. And they've brought in a bunch of kids all, all break long to go hang out with Clay and Kuna. Kuna Palooza. Kuna Palooza is what we've called it. Uh, all, all for the last two weeks, just they want a coon hunt every night. And, our our son has woken up early voluntarily <laughs> to go and hunt and and to go across you know wh- where he hunts at in the so morning. So he's coon hunting at night and deer hunting and deer in hunting in the morning. And he comes home and I watch how animated he is talking to Clay about everything he did and everything he saw. And it's like, yeah, you know what? There were times where we had to force our kids to put long johns on and and wake up, or we had to mm-hmm. do some sacrifice here. I bribery with bug juice bringing bringing these little yes. sugar infested drinks to to deer camp and things like that organic sugar right? Organ- yeah, yeah no bug juice not is not organic <laughs> <laughs> and neither is that dye um but that, you know that's how we got ava up a four mile hike and true. rocky mountain honey yeah. sticks that's right honey we stick. used cherry sours getting yes. them up to the top of a mountain on a hike but but now now that they're teenagers are doing that stuff on their own. And and like I said, we've had ups and downs. We've had teenagers who we've had to pull off social media. We've had to say, oh, man, we let this jack out of the box too soon. I mean, you, you yeah. got a yeah. phone and you weren't ready for it. And we had to go back and backtrack and say, hey, we gave you some liberty we shouldn't have. We're taking it back. And, I mean, people just thought we were crazy. Kids at school thought, thought wow, they are crazy, and uh, and we're good with that. We're but we had enough relationship exactly That's with right. that particular yeah. child, yeah, that it didn't crush them, even though it was very difficult for them. It was, but yeah. we had we we've been playing the long game with that one from yeah. day one, and and we 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 made adjustments, and and we weren't afraid to make a decision. Um, and we had to watch our own social media and our own computer time and our own mm-hmm. stuff to. 
to make sure we were there to support and be there. You know, right. it's tough to tell your kids you know, to get off it if you're. I was going to say, what what we have seen with our kids at school, and, and we live in a very urban town, and for Arkansas, Fayetteville, I mean, kind of a, yeah, pretty pretty urban. That's what I'll say, and uh, our kids are like the cool kids at school because of hunting. It's true, yeah. I, mean, I, I think that's pretty unique. Mm -hmm. And, and all the kids want to go. I mean, like, yeah, all Christmas break, there was lists of kids that wanted to go that we had to organize how to get to our house and when we were going to take them and all this. And, and, uh, I always the transiting Newcombs. I'm no. trying to remember, Misty, do you remember the story of someone was asking the kids, at, there was a presentation at Prism. And do you know anyone famous or have you ever met someone? I can't remember. And Bear's answer was, my dad's a world famous bear hunter. <laughs> and I think Ava, our youngest daughter, said that her dad worked at Sonic. Which, which I have never done. Which one, which one wasn't true and two, I don't know why that would make him famous. When they were like four. But they were young. I mean yeah, like kindergarten, okay. first grade. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. They uh, were, it was, it was years ago. If I had only worked but at Sonic. Anyway, I don't know what You took them there so much. <laughs> I guess. It was on the way home. Hey, what's funny is at that time there was no I mean, Clay had no notoriety as a hunter whatsoever. There wasn't a podcast. There wasn't a, a oh, bear hunting yeah. magazine. Bear, bear he just it, he just felt in his heart. That's right. He killed that big old deer. Yeah. <laughs> that big right. bear. Well, kid, I, I was I was trying to summarize what we're Sorry. saying. Um, this happens a lot when we get together. Yes, yeah. relationship with kids, not being afraid to to go against the trend. That's right. Play the long game. Play mm -hmm. the long game with them. The earlier you get started, the better. Um, but it's never and, too late. That's and right. build a build a culture around what you value. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think something that maybe has been lost in some ways in fatherhood. And fathers are ones that do this. Mothers have a big part in it. I mean, a massive part in it too. But it start it it can't just start. The way it works best is if it starts with a father. I believe that is that culture is built inside of a home around the things that you value. And there's there's something, so, you know, we have built a, a, a value system that has honored and, and, and valued hunting and stuff. But it's deeper than that, though, because ultimately the, the value system goes into the principles by which we live by. You know, so, yeah, hunting, we go out and shoot animals, but there's principles, there's responsibility and stewardship and integrity and honesty, you know, I mean, game laws, nobody's watching over your shoulder to make sure you obey them. I mean, like there's a there's an internal value system that's even a layer deeper than the external activity mm -hmm. that we emphasize, that we talk about. And uh, so, but not every family is going to have hunting built around it in the same way as we have. Just like you guys haven't, Josh. I mean, like hunting's not been the, the biggest thing, but the, your value system has significantly been transferred to your kids they uh they have an identity they know who they are they're not afraid to be different mm -hmm. um and that's really the main thing that uh that i wanted to talk about and just kind of give people just a little peek it's hard to have a conversation like this just because where do you start right with a from starting at zero to someone who just logged into a podcast to to getting to uh the depths really of 
of how we parent. You know what I was going to start the podcast out what? with? Talking about biological success. In, in the biological world, success would be defined as when someone produces viable offspring. Okay, like like for a bear to be biologically successful, it would mean that that bear would reproduce itself into offspring that was also able to reproduce, mm-hmm. viable offspring. Does that make sense? Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. And really our success as humans, in my mind, is to to produce a replication, not of ourselves because our kids will be different, but that have a value system that is able to be replicated again through them. Like I will be happy when my sons and daughters have families and they, and, and, and really I hope they're hunters, but I don't care if they're hunters. What I care is that they would have those underlying principles yeah. that hunting gave them deeply instilled into their kids for generations to come. So generations of kids that I may never know that carry the Newcomb name would be honest and have integrity and would be responsible and would be uh, introspective and would have all these values, you know. So my success would be that my kids would have that and pass it on to their yeah. kids. Yeah, Generational continuance, something we talk about. Yeah. And I think that if we do it right, that I bet five generations from now, should the earth persist, that Newcombs will be hunters. You know? Yeah. I mean, that that's... And, and again, I, I'm taking it outside of the hunting space and say this this hopefully could be... Hopefully parents got something from this. Um, do you remember, Josh, uh, Christy was talking about one of the first turkey hunts we went on with our kids. Mm-hmm. I'll end with this story, and I'll give you guys closing comments. We We took David... Willow, Mallory, yes, turkey youth turkey hunting, yes, and uh, we got on some turkeys <laughs> on public lands, some beard swinging big old gobblers. Who had the gun? David Spielmaker. D- well, this was yes, okay. I want to okay. David had the gun, so there's five of us: me, Josh, and these three little kids. I mean, they could hardly hold the shotgun up. And we started, we, we heard a gobble, moved in. I call, pow, here come the turkeys. I had told the kids, I was trying to tell them how still you had to be. And I told Mallory, well, I told all the kids. I don't kids, know what but, it is about when you tell somebody to be still. I mean, it really gets deep inside them. Yes. Well, I told them, I said, a turkey can see your eyes moving. <laughs> you have to sit so still. And so... When the turkeys start coming to view, Mallory Spillmaker closes her eyes. <laughs> and, and they and walk literally almost on top of three her. Three beautiful, bright red-headed gobblers come in and just strut in front of us. And uh, so something happened. That, that time, David didn't shoot. Okay, It was a different time that he shot. But... We couldn't get on them, couldn't get on them, couldn't get on them. That's right. Yeah. And then and then the turkeys just, you know how they do, they just strutted away and just kind of got lost interest. <laughs> and then when they left, I was just like, wow, kids, did you see that? And Mallory was like, no, I didn't have my eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> she had her eyes closed for 10 minutes because she was afraid those turkeys were going to see her. <laughs> Very literal. Uh, and then later, the next year, David was able to, he was a little bit bigger. Every year, they just kept getting a little bit better at handling yeah, shotgun. And yeah. eventually, we got 
uh, we got David a turkey, but he missed five times one morning. So, yeah. <laughs> five times on the same turkey. Oh, with a single shot. With a single shot, 410. A long beard gobbler on public land in Arkansas, too, at that. But, no, okay, 20-second closing thought, Miss Newcomb. Doctor. Not Almost doctor. doctor. Not a doctor yet. Uh, Soon to be. Doctor mm, in training. Not sure that Clay knows what a dissertation entails. <laughs> <laughs> No, just uh, I don't really have any strong closing thoughts, but just, you know, parenting is 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 tough these days and it's tough to push against the grain and and, you know, we should all kind of join together in solidarity and it takes community. It really does. Yeah, that's part of what we wanted to bring Josh and Christy on is we really have and not just Josh and Christy. We've got a wide net of people Mm -hmm. that we're really close with, but but we really have raised our kids side by side. Mm It with, would have been super guys. hard yeah. to put the boundaries on our kids if they didn't have friends that yeah, had the same boundaries. It yeah. would have been Very super true. difficult. And that's part of the power of of, uh, yeah. of putting them in the school that we did. And yeah. the church that we did. I shared mean, value system. Yeah. It really is a shared value system. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It definitely takes takes community. Josh. Well, I think the thing that, that uh, really is important to me and stands out to me is just the role of the father and uh, the the commitment that a father has to have first and foremost to his to his wife inside mm-hmm. of the home, you know, you're you're given a sphere of inf- influence, and inside of that sphere of influence, your first your first place of influence is with your wife, and so it, it requires that you are um, presenting to her what a husband really should look like um, in a in a place of sacrifice and a place of provision, and a place of of really just building a stable environment. And then, of course, the next place of influence is your children. And uh, your children have to see that accurate pattern from the very top down. You can't skip the wife and go straight to the kids. That's not going to produce the fruit that you're looking for. So what that really means is that fathers have to be able to get up in the morning and evaluate and start their day off intentionally um, and be able to create an environment in their home where the transfer of values is easy mm-hmm. um, because there's lots of things that a father can do to restrict that that flow so you have to create that environment where that transfer of value is is conducive I'll put it that way mm-hmm. conducive and uh, and I, I think the byproduct of that will will be much more positive than than uh, than just trying to let it happen mm-hmm. um, and I, I I just that's the thing I would say to to dads and out there is, is be intentional you know, yeah. Don't don't let it slip by, and it's going to happen a lot quicker than you expect it to happen. Mm-hmm. If your children are young, you know you hear it all the time with the old timers that it goes by so fast, and you really don't know until you get there. But it will go by fast. And uh, one thing I've learned: our oldest daughter was was uh, a very 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 intense young one, and uh, Christy and I were not fantastic parents. We were new at it. We didn't have any experience. And she came out of the womb intense. But one thing that we did know that we needed to do was to be consistent and uh, to give her consistency. And so we were consistent in our discipline. We were consistent in our love and tenderness, consistent in our compassion with her, consistent with being firm. And it's really produced a a very um, incredible young lady. And uh, it's not due to any Mm -hmm. secret parenting tricks that we knew Mm Uh, but just just consistency, consistency, and in being able to go back and evaluate and say, where did we miss it? Where did we do good? 
and to really make adjustments in our life and uh, in our parenting together and to do it together. Uh, You know, that's the other thing Mm -hmm. is partnership with a, with a mother and father. Um, That's really what it takes. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I can real quick jump off of that. Just, I, I think about when, when clay, how we celebrate when you, when you get a deer or a bear that you've been going after or the kids or whatever. And there's a lot of work that goes into producing that result. And, um, and looking back and saying, Hey, it was all worth it. Like it, it was all worth it. Even in the moments when you got it in the moments when you didn't. And I think, I think just talking to the people who are going to listen and, and who are hunters that same, same with parenting. I mean, mm-hmm. you put in the work and yeah. you will see good fruit and, mm-hmm. uh, and you win some, you lose some, like Josh said, when you lose them, you, you figure out what you can learn from it and take that into the next one. But but in the same way that you, you go through the journey and the work that goes into being able to, to get the, the animal or, or whatever it is, like invest in, in parenting, it, it really does produce some, some great stuff. And we're, we're really blessed to be uh, getting to see some of the fruit of those years yep. in us right now. Mm-hmm. And super grateful. I mean, I know we've yeah. said it multiple times, super grateful to have, to have been a part of uh, raising our kids with the Newcombs yeah, and, and that wider circle of friends that that we have, but, but man, we could not have done it outside of community. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Newcomb. You're welcome, Mr. Newcomb. Josh, Christy. Thank you guys. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Josh, you yes. know how to end this podcast. Uh, I, what? Say that again. You know how to end this podcast. I'm going to let you do it. I do. I, I, you know, what's funny is I was just actually thinking about that. And I was wondering if I was going to get to say it. Do it. And from the from the bear hunting global headquarters, we just want to say, keep the wild things wild. Ah, <laughs> keep the wild places wild. Wild places wild. <laughs> wild things too. We're going to let Christy do it. Okay, Christy, Christy. Okay. From the global headquarters of Bear Hunting Magazine, keep the wild places wild. Because that's where the bears are. That's, that's right. where the bears are. That's right. <laughs> Keep oh, the wild places wild because that's right where over the here. bears live. Yeah, we really blew this thing. Man, now live. I know how much y'all listen to the very end. Like, oh. people get to, like, the last two minutes, and they're like, ah, oh, they're just messing around. Listen, they close it off. You just need to have shepherd you at every time, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Right on. Right on. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.